How do you spell tyranny? C-O-V-I-D-1-9. That's how you spell tyranny, folks. And welcome to Eurofolk Radio, the most awake, the most aware, the most Jew-savvy, the most Christian uh, broadcast platform in the world, okay? And boy, are we on top of things, uh, even in Sweden. Welcome, Michael from Sweden. How are you doing? And thank you very much. I'm doing very good here in a very sunny, sunny, um, sunny Sweden. So I do what Trump sometimes said that uh, that UV um, the sun rays has a peculiar effect on the COVID virus. Well, it probably kills it more effective than vaccine. So that's my yeah. my best tip: be out in the sun, sunlight without sunshade, sun <laughs> sun protection. Because not protect you, it will give you sun, probably give you skin cancer. So, but yeah, yeah thank you very much. A lot yeah. of way to joining you here once again. Yes, yeah, and uh, Brother Eber says, good morning, Covidrealites. A lot of uh, Israelites, of course, the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, and Caucasian people are the real Israelites of the world, and uh, many of them are being turned into Covidrealites, people who are just paralyzed with fear and panic over this, uh, uh, this fake disease. And I can see that so many people of late, you know, because we reported the 66% of people checking into hospitals are those who have been staying at home, okay, where they've been probably watching television and getting scared to death from all these fake headlines about COVID-19. And uh, we have been in the past talking about how Sweden has not been social distancing and not been enforcing face masks. But I think before the show, you said that there's actually a a self-quarantining stay-at-home order, or is this voluntary, Michael? Well, the company is is following it. So they they have, this is from their, what I say, the health the health um, um, agencies, they're telling, they are recommending that people that people have to work from home until the uh, end of this year. And then, of course, many of the um, companies okay. are lockstep in this. They are, they are onto this. So, yes, yes they, that's how, how they do it. They do it more, um, yeah, other ways. They doesn't enforce, but then they have recommendations. They recommend, they recommend, but it's only recommendations. But still, yeah, that is true. Right. Yeah. So it seems like the implementation of the lockdown in Sweden is progressing much more slowly, but it's still according to the, uh, what is it, the um, to, uh, 2000 event 201, which occurred in 2019, which basically stated that there has to be more cooperation between big government and corporations, namely the health corporations, in uh, in attacking this non-problem, <laughs> or actually in creating this problem, all right? And so, yeah, this is fascism, folks. That's what's called fascism. When you have global government and global uh, corporate dictatorship, and that's the operative word, dictatorship, coming from on high, and the central uh, office is the United Nations where all of these directives come down. And I speculated when I first heard, when I first talked to you about this, Michael, that all right, Sweden, even though it was not enforcing social dis- distancing and mask wearing, there's got to be a hidden reason <laughs> for this because there's no way the Rothschilds are, are going to let Sweden off the hook. So 
uh, I recently found out that 5G is being heavily Im- implemented in Sweden. And so this probably answers my question of what's going on in Sweden. So I think what they're going to do, they're going to implement 5G. And then when all of the people of Sweden get sick from 5G, they're going to blame it on the fact that the Swedes weren't social distancing. Right? Isn't that, isn't that what we can expect to happen? That's going to be the excuse over to you. Mm, yeah, that sounds very plausible. That sounds like a prediction that uh, we will look into right. in some month. Yeah, that sounds exactly what they're going to do. They're going to to blame it on you didn't do this, you didn't do this, so now we need to do this and this to you because you didn't follow our recommendations, blah, blah, right. blah. Yeah, we need to round you up and put you in a concentration camp. Right, yeah, or something like that. Something like that, right? Because people are afraid of getting sick. It's so, it's so, yeah. It's but it's not even. I don't know if you. I, I don't know. My mind regarding to COVID is like, hmm, is it just blaming everything you die of 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 calling it COVID? Yes. Or is it, or is it some just um, normal cold? Well, uh, it, it probably is in most cases if pe- people actually have symptoms. But uh, you know, my position has always been: if you if you're not not if you're asymptomatic, you don't have the sniffles, you don't have a runny nose, you don't feel achy all over, which is typically flu symptoms. And uh, and there's a lot, uh, like uh, sometimes you have a cough, sometimes you have difficulty breathing, all typical of flu. But there's people who are utterly asymptomatic, which means they're not sick, yet they're being diagnosed with COVID-19, right? So if you, if you have no symptoms, you're not sick. That's been the standard throughout history. You have to have symptoms of some kind or another to be considered sick. And then, of course, the PCR test, which the inventor says is not a diagnostic test, it's simply for research. You cannot diagnose anybody with this test, but that's what they're doing. Okay, so I can. Yeah, go ahead. Question. So they said it is for research purposes. Yes. Yeah. What they do? They want research. Well, what they do is they take the suspect, uh, you know, RNA, which is uh, the virus. Okay. They take the suspect RNA and then they reproduce it umpteen million times so that they can perform experiments on that, right? So they have a a, a big laboratory full of RNA to do research on, okay? But that's not the same as diagnosing an illness, okay? The inventor of that test says it can't be used for diagnosing an illness, Period. No, and okay. and you need to have antibodies to be to be called to have, <laughs> uh, and and just saying symptoms. I mean, also those symptoms that you told me now, Elias. Yeah, they could be applicable to older people, maybe that have right. the flu. Or for me, sometimes you just a normal flu. Or hey, could it be hay fever as well? It could be anything. It is. Um, yeah, I don't know really, but it yeah. sounds to me like. Uh, it is flu. It is the cold. It could be anything. Because if you if you read those you, exactly those stuff you state, it could be anything. Yes. Yeah. And uh, but uh, you know the the whole point of this is to create a fear and panic mode in those people who have been brainwashed by the medical establishment to simply believe what they say because we're supposed to believe they have our best interests at heart. 
Those of us in Christian identity know otherwise because we know who controls this industry, right? The Antichrist Jew. But here, Revelation 28, uh, sorry, Revelation 21, verse 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and a dial, uh, uh, and all liars, which is basically Jews, shall have their part in the lake of which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But the very first listing is the fearful. Okay? Why is it list the fearful first? What's your opinion? Because you, Because fear, for me... It's the opposite of faith, because you don't have faith in that you will be protected. You lack faith. Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, let me go into the chat room real quick, because one of our participants here quoted scripture. Let me. It's very important. Let me go. Here it is. Fat bald guy. He posted Deuteronomy 31.6, which states, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. And we know who they are. For Yahweh thy Elohim, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Amen. But of course, that's still conditional because we have to obey his laws to deserve that kind of cover, that kind of protection from Yahweh and his covering angels. Okay? So this is pure Christian identity faith, folks. That's what you're hearing here on Eurofolk Radio. All right. Okay, uh, Brother Abor says, Oh boy, Victoria, Australia is the test. Total lockdown for six weeks because of 11 deaths. And how many citizens are there? in a, Like 22 million, something like that, if not, not more. Only 11 deaths. So they have to lock down the entire province of Victoria because of 11 deaths? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, cowards are the first to burn, and they'll be the first one in line for the chopping block. You know, they'll they be yeah, murdered. They, yeah. they were, sorry. Uh, yeah, because those cowards, they were probably so fearful, so they will be the first one to stand in line for vaccines, for anything that will come, and that will, that yeah. will kill them. That will bring them to... And I, I also would like, you know, you had a very wonderful verse up above about um, be not fearful. We shouldn't be fearful. So I would like also to touch on that from Isaiah, and it's okay. 41.10. Okay. And it's, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Ye, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that we are in censor against it shall be ashamed and confound. They shall be at nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Amen. Thou shalt seek them and shalt not find them, <laughs> even them that contended with thee. They that war against thee shall be as nothing Amen. and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Yes, amen. Now, uh, and Spoiler says, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights apparently says that human beings have the right not to be unwilling subjects of medical experimentation. But we know that the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights was intended to be broken by them. 
right? That's just as just uh, it's not worth the paper that the to- that you flush down the toilet that it's written on. Okay, the UN Declaration of Human Rights. They have ignored that ever since it was written, but it's good PR. Right, it's good PR to to fool the sheep into thinking that the United Nations is a a, a global peace organization, right? Yeah, they want a piece of us, right? And they, and they want to vaccinate us so they can ignore their Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is all they have ever done. Total total hypocrisy. Okay, all right. Okay, so that's where we're at, folks. A quick update on the the state of the pandemic. Okay, and but today's subject is Germany, a branch of Israel by, uh, well, how do you pronounce this? Mikkel or Michael Sternholm Krag? I I would say Mikkel. Mikkel, okay, India. Now, is he uh, Swedish or mm-hmm. is he Finnish? No, no, I think he's Danish. Danish, Danish. or Norwegian. Okay. Yeah, Danish or Norwegian. That's when I read your name anyway. Yeah, okay. All right. So uh, let me, I'll, I'll read the uh, introductory stuff here, and then uh, you can pick it up with the Lost Tribes of Israel trek to Germany and Scandinavia. And uh, the author, Mikkel Sternholm Krag, Biblical and secular history shows that the Germans are descendants of the Lost Tribes of Israel. Genetic confirm that modern Germans are closely related to Britons, the Dutch, Scandinavians, and other peoples of Israelite origin. Several authorities on the tribes of Israel also believe that the Germans are Israelites, and specifically of tribes descended from Jacob's wife, Leah. Okay, but there's a huge... Now, did Leah give birth to Judah? I don't recall. I have to look it up to uh, see which tribes are descended from which wife. Anyway, table of contents. The lost tribes of Israel trekked to Germany and Scandinavia. And also, now this is very interesting. Uh, because in my book, The Great Impersonation, I document two waves of Judah coming into Europe. The first wave was Zerah Judah, who left the uh, Egyptian captivity before the Exodus and Danites accompanied them, and I'm sure other tribes accompanied them as well. They would have accompanied Judah because he was of the line of Judah, and the other uh, tribes would have considered Zerah Judah their king, okay, when they left uh, Egypt. So they landed in uh, what's today known as uh, uh, Troy, okay? They, they founded Troy, they, they founded Rome. They founded much of Spain. They founded Britain and Ireland. And so you, you can see the, the Peloponnesus and other areas uh, along the northern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So these people are Zarajudah. And, and some of them migrated inland a little bit. And they were, they're the ones called the Celts. Okay, so we see that we have Zara Judah firmly in place on the continent circa 12, uh, 14, 1500 BC. Okay, now the uh, uh, Pharaoh's Judah branch, I trace in my book, The Great Impersonation, arrived much later, and this was the overland migration, and these are the Germans. The Germans are the Zara Judah branch coming from uh, Acer. Assyria, over to you. 
Yes, and uh, just a question. Isn't it also true? Is it in Scotland or or Ireland that you have this the red um, the red scarf that was tied uh, around? Was it his arm that came came his out wrist. first? His wrist. His wrist. His that wrist. was taken around. You are the firstborn, and then he pulled yes. it out, put it in again, and then Ferris Yura came out. So that is why I guess the the color red is associated with with um, yeah. Sarah Yura that started uh, Troy, as you said, and Rome and and Ireland and and um, yeah and, and Scotland. Amen. And uh, now Scotland is an interesting case because that's the case of the Zara Judah and Ferris Judah branch intermarrying. Scotta was a Ferris uh, Judahite, but she married a Zara Judahite. And so those two branches of, of Judah got um, married together, uh, blended together again. And But Scotta, she died in Spain. The, she married Mile, uh, the uh, Milesian Scythian. Okay. And uh, they settled in nor- northern Spain where she died, but she had six sons who were henceforth known as Scots, who went to Ireland and subsequently to Scotland, okay? Because the other branch of Zarajuda was already up there. I can't remember if they had a brief skirmish or war between themselves, but the Scots wound up going to Scotland on uh, what we would call the mainland of Britain, okay? This history is all uh, detailed in my book, The Great Impersonation, which this author does not refer to, Son of a gun. <laughs> he does refer to William Fink, however, who did excellent work on this subject as well. Okay, so let's continue with the list, the bullet points. Starting with the first one again. The lost tribes of Israel trekked to Germany and Scandinavia. The Franks of the tribe of Reuben. Bavarians and Austrians of the tribe of Simeon. Swabians, Alemanians, and Swiss Germans of the tribe of Levi. And that's my heritage, the Swabians. Donoschwaben, the Saxon Germans of the tribe of Judah, DNA of modern Germans, uh, German language and religion, people who have identified the Germans as Israelites, and bibliography. Okay, so those are the various topics of this paper, which I have posted into the chat room for those who want to get a copy of it. All right, so I will turn it over to you now to read this document. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Elaine. Then just uh, another question regarding to Scotland, because on the Scottish flag you have this, the, what do you say, the, the crossed over arms upon their flag. It's the same mm-hmm. as you had on the on the Union, uh, Jack Union uh, flag. Right. How, they also have Joseph's uh, to the arms of uh, Manasseh and uh, Manasseh and um, Ephraim. Uh, Ephraim. Yeah. Ephraim. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they also have that one insignia on their on their on their uh, nation's right. uh, uh, flag. Yeah, and the British uh, coat of arms has the you know, crossed arms of Judah, has the unicorn of Joseph on one side and the rampant lion on the other. You know, and of course that's the sign of Judah. And uh, I forgot to mention the red hand of Ulster is the exact title of uh, that flag, which is part of Irish heritage, and that is actually a reference to Zara Judah having the uh, the. The, the string tied around his wrist, and that's the red hand of Ulster. And so the uh, the Irish, for centuries, have known this, and they still know it. But this this is history that is uh, totally censored, so that because the Jews need to be the lost tribes of Israel, not us. <laughs> right? All right. Back to you. 
Okay, yeah. Okay, sorry for that little inter intervention. So now let's start up then with the first um, bullet point and the first heading that is the lost yeah. tribes of Israel, um, trek to Germany and Scandinavia. Yeah, my my home place and then and right. your or Germany here. So it's a good mix. Okay, the kingdom of Israel, which consisted of ten of the ten northern tribes of Israel, was conquered by Assyria in several invasions between Acer. Acer. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, by Acer in several inv invasions. That's between... what the pagans call it. Sorry, it is Assyria, but the pagans call it Acer. They don't even know that that's that it is Assyria. Okay. All right. But Assyria is and it... Acer are the same thing. Okay, back to you. Yeah, is that just because you want to, you want to, what it, you don't, they want to get off the connection with the Bible. Right, exactly. Yeah, everything they do. Yes. Okay, sorry. And that was, this happens between the 745 to and 721 BC and deported out of the land of Israel to different regions south of the Caucasus, as it is, the, as it is described in the Bible. And this we find in, in 2 Kings 17.6. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala and in Habor by the river of Gusan and in the cities of the Medes. And here we here also we doesn't really have of course Caucasus mountains here. There are more biblical places here, but I I could probably we probably find those names when if we dig in history and dig around those places that those places were called this. The right. river goes on those places. We can probably find them. Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, Hala and Habor are in the Fertile Crescent, you know that area uh, north of the Arabian, uh, the, uh, like a horseshoe that surrounds the Arabian desert, you know, so you go up the, the uh, Jordan River toward the north, and then you, you get to Turkey, which has a lot of rainfall, and then you come down the other side, the Tigris and Euphrates, that's the Fertile Crescent, and all of these cities, you know, these places in this area, Halan, Harbor, the cities of the Medes, uh, are located in the Fertile Crescent, so those those places are easy to find. Uh, archaeologists have dug through those areas for centuries and uh, many of them have confirmed the presence of the Israelites in these places. Okay, back to you. Yeah, thank you. And those people didn't look like modern day Edomites. No, they, they looked <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So probably they tried to hide that away, that, that, uh, that obvious, um, those obvious facts. Yeah, yeah. Oh. They they look like oh. Grace Kelly, not like uh who who's that Jewish singer? Uh he said People we need people. I can't remember her name. Anyway. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Barbara. Let's... Barbara. Barbara Strident. That's who I was thinking of. Barbara Strident. <laughs> All right, sorry folks. Back to you. Okay, so the reason that God let Israel be deported was that they continue to break Yahweh's covenant and follow other gods. Yeah, idol worship, like yep. we are doing today, I guess. Amen. But today it is mysterious. We are falling, we're falling all other gods than the only living God. Why is that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, as we foretold in the Bible, of course, that we know that will be a great falling away. But um, yeah, we have, once again, we are... 
in Egypt again. I don't know what to what to say, but we are like <laughs> in Egypt in Assyria and Babylon again. Yeah, um, uh, actually, these pagans they still uh, retain names of Egyptian uh, deities, right, as well as uh, Assyrian deities, as well as Median deities. Okay, and of course Canaanite deities, right? Modern pag- white pagans who think they're rebelling against the Bible are in fact the the objective, the object of the Bible, uh, the object of all this criticism. Okay, yeah. All yeah. right. Um, yeah. Okay. okay. Let's continue. After the deportation of the kingdom of Israel, i.e., the ten Israelite northern tribes, only the southern kingdom of Judah was left in the land of Israel. And this we can find in Second Kings seventeen eighteen that is said, Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. Yeah, and in that when they say the tribe of Judah that is also consistent I with the tribe of Benjamin and maybe partly also the Levites mm-hmm. that were, were with the Judites. Yes. And I can also this because you can see a lot of mix about this different of Babylon, we have Babylon again, Mr. Babylon, and we also, as I said, also people use this Egyptian, um, the Egyptian deities' names, uh, and so I also see this mix of all those former, what do you say, um, places where we have been captives. Right, right. Well, for example, it brings to mind the, you know, uh, Scotta had a sister named Tia Tefi, who was also known as Tara, and Tara, she migrated to Ireland uh, where Scotta died before she could get there. So there is a place called Tara Hill in Ireland where she is buried. She is referred to as an Egyptian queen, but in reality she was an Israelite of the tribe of Judah, daughter of Zedekiah, who tarried in Egypt for a number of years before moving on to Ireland. Okay, So this, in fact, there's remains of an Egyptian ship off the coast of Ireland near Tara Hill, and uh, two, I think there's actually two, that have been unearthed. So the legend of Tara being from Egypt is totally confirmed, but they they left out the part that she's a daughter of Zedekiah. Okay, only those of us in Christian identity have the whole story. Back to you. Yes, and that's why we're here, to bring yeah, the amen. Connect Apostle. For yeah. And we, of course, also want to listen to someone if we miss stuff or something other we can learn from. So we are here as an as an as a group of Israelites to learn from each other. Amen. Um, okay. So now uh, the kingdom of Judah was invaded by Babylon in 604 BC and partially deported in 587 BC. Many Judahites are believed not to have returned to Judah, but to have joined the other Israelite in exile. Okay, and actually the Bible does say that that uh, Sennacherib, I, th- I think 42 fenced cities of Judah were deported, but uh, only the city of Jerusalem was saved. Okay, so yeah, all these other Judahites and probably a lot of Benjaminites to, and this is probably why one of the reasons why the tribe of Benjamin, why Galilee was separated from Judah and Samaria was inserted between Judah and Galilee, okay? Because the Assyrians uh, brought in uh, unwilling migrants and and put them there north of Judah and uh, between uh, Benjamin 
and Judah, and that's how the Samar- that's how the Samaritan nation came to be. This uh, the, the Syrians created. Okay, back to you. Okay, so right. here comes some some his history. Um, more more history. This is from uh, and the Middle Eastern origin of the Nordic and Germanic tribes is well documented by the Icelandic historian Snorri Sturluson, and he lived between 11, 1178 to 1241 uh, AD. In the Chronicles of the Kings of Norway, and that is dated to be uh, 1225 AD, um, Sturluson wrote that they, under the leadership of a priest chief, Odin, had trekked from a region south of the Caucasus mountain called Turkland via Gadarike, that's Russia, to northern Europe. Okay, well, I mean, how how much can you confirm our doctrine <laughs> that that uh, the Germans originated in the uh, Fertile Crescent and were part of the tribes of Israel? And uh, there, there's a whole series of books, uh, I forget the author now, uh, who talks about the... Uh, the kingdom of uh, the, the, the exiles from Judah who migrated to the north and east. And these were led by kings of Zer- uh, no, I'm sorry, Pharaoh's Judah, okay, the Parthians. The Parthian Empire was a Judahite empire under Judahite dictator or rule, under Judahite kings, but uh, probably incorporated virtually all of the tribes, okay? These are the people who eventually became known as the Germans. Okay, back to you. Yeah, and uh, also partly also here up in, 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 in the Scandinavian nations. Um, yes. Because when we, so, uh, this is a f- quote from this book, The Chronicles of the Kings of Norway, and that book can be found in English as well. This is not only written in, in old... Uh, nor Icelandic um, text and can be a bit uh, bit tricky to understand. Okay, on the south side of the mountains, which lie outside of all inhabited lands, runs the river through Svitjord. And here is an, here is something interesting. Svitjord mm-hmm. is what is how the Icelandic today calls Sweden. Sweden yeah. is Svitjord on Icelandic. Okay, what uh, because I, I see the word Judah. Hidden within the, I pronounce it Switoid, okay, but uh, the, uh, uh, where is the word here? Switoid, it's I-O, not O-I, okay, Switoid, which is probably Judah <laughs> as a remnant of, so what would the word Swit mean in Swedish? What does that mean? Swit, I don't, I cannot really do any good translation on that Swit Mm-hmm. What that could be, but but Switzerland, um, you're probably better to to pronounce what I was, but that is was the Scandinavian name from Skitia. Oh, that okay. Is, that so, is said here down below. You see that after this uh, this quote, right. we have the first one. Switzerland was the Scandinavian name for Skitia. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Now I get it. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Okay, so they, somehow the C got turned into a W. Okay, that's what happened. All right, folks. Very good. We solved a major uh, linguistic riddle. Thank you. All right, please continue. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, which is probably called by the name of uh, Tanais. Uh, ten, 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 right. Or Tanai. Ten, yeah, okay. Tanai. 
but but formerly called uh, Tanak Quasal or Vana Quasal, and which falls into the Black Sea. Okay. The now this is probably where. Sorry to interrupt because uh, this is probably where the Van, which uh, are basically uh, Slavic people where the name van comes from the slavs are originally known as the van okay van and so they inhabited uh, all the the area north of the, this area directly north and east where uh, all the slavic people had settled okay so these are formerly known as the van and now they're known as the slavs back to you um, couldn't it also be Dan, Dan, because of if you just change the, the V yeah. for the D, you have uh, Dan? Well, that's possible. Uh, I think the, the Don River goes straight north, okay, into Russia. Uh, and I'm not sure any other rivers named by Dan that go directly east. I'm not sure of that. But the Danube obviously goes directly west, right? And uh, there's many... The Don, the Dan, the Dnieper, there's many uh, rivers named by Dan, okay? But the Don goes straight north into Russia, probably very close, I don't know what the mountain range would be, very close to the North Sea, okay? So you have to go up a, a mountain range, and then you can uh, take the river down to the North Sea. So you could see, uh, sailing up these rivers is, was an easy job for the uh, seafaring Israelites, no, not a problem at all. Okay, back to you. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes. Uh, the country of the people on the Vanakwiso Van was called Vanaland, uh -huh. or Vanaheim. And uh, the river separated the, uh, separated the three parts of the world, of which, which the easternmost part is called Asia, and the westernmost Europe. Mm -hmm. And that must be Don, the Don River that you were saying. Right, probably, yeah. Okay, I'd have to get a map out to, to check all these things, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the case. I just don't know the name of the mountain range that they would have to cross over to uh, float down the river to uh, you know, the North Sea. Yeah, or whatever. Maybe, yeah, or that, uh, that bay between uh, Norway and Sweden and the mainland, uh, what is the Swedish Sea, what do they call that? Yes, um, uh, the, the Baltic. The Baltic. Oh, that's the Baltic. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So th that's where they came out, the Baltic. All right, back to you. Yeah, okay. So here we have this explanation explanation of um, Svitjod. Uh, mm -hmm. was the Scandinavian name for Skitja. Okay, very uh, good. And here we know here we have the connection that the Skitjans, they were Israelites, and that's where the name where the people here up in my place where I live, where they came from, because that was how my na my country was called, and today, even this day, uh, Iceland called Sweden, uh, Svitjord. That is the name. For so, Sweden. in other words, uh, Scythians, <laughs> right? They just yes. substituted a, a W for the C for some odd reason. Okay, maybe a linguist could uh, explain how that works. All right, <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. And um, and this place covered a vast area, including all of southern Russia, most of the Ukraine, and most of Central Asia. Tanyas was the ancient name for the River Don. Mm -hmm. Still in use. Okay. Yes, it's still in use. Yes. 
Yes, okay. and I, let's move on. Uh, there goes a great mountain barrier from the northeast to southwest, which divides the greater Svitjord from other kingdoms. South of this mountain, Rigid, it is not far to Turkland, where Odin had a great possessions. In those times, the Roman chiefs went wide around in the world, subduing to themselves all people. Mm-hmm. And on this account, many chiefs fled from their dominions. But Odin, Odin having foreknowledge and magic sight, know that his posterity would come to settle and dwell in the northern half of the world. Okay. He therefore set his brother Via and Vilja over Asgard. And here is places that you can find in the in the in what to say in the Odin is used mm-hmm. because they were places that did exist. Right. Asgard. They yes. did exist. They they were part of the uh, Pharaoh's Judah kingdom. Of Parthia, that's who they were. Okay. Yeah, and I also right. see um, uh, some similarities with uh, a, with Asher here, Asgard, yes. and right. They call themselves Asad. Mm-hmm. So I see the the similarities to Asher also. Amen. And uh, he himself, with all the goods and the great men of other people, wandered out. First westward to Gardarike, and that is Russia, mm-hmm. and then south to Saxland, Germany. Mm-hmm. He had many sons, and after having subdued an extensive kingdom in Saxland, he set his sons to rule the country. He himself went northward to the sea and took up his abode in the Iceland, which is called Odin's Iceland in Finn. Or Island, yeah. Dem- the S is silent in English here, island. <laughs> An island which is called Odin's Island in Finn, F-Y-N. Now, Finn, Finland, right? So maybe no, we Dan- are... Dan- yeah. So uh, maybe we can find out where this uh, prefix, Finn, comes from. Please continue. Um, yes. So here comes some um, clarifications here to his text. Saxland is Saxony. Uh, the mentioned sea is the Baltic Sea. As you said, Eli, they came out from the Baltic Sea. Mm-hmm. And the largest city on Finn, the third largest Danish Iceland, is Odense, and that is Odin's Ö, mm-hmm. a name which is Odin's Iceland. Island, yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah Island. <laughs> yeah. So that, and that name you can still find today, Odense. Mm-hmm. Okay. He continue. He did subdue. Could this be one of the traces, Eli, where we see that um, the Israelites that comes migrates northward is conquering the what do you say the Roman? Is it the Roman? Those countries have they been then um, overtaken by Romans before? So here we see the traces where the where the, the what do you say the Germanic uh, tribes is defeating the, Ro- the Roman Empire. Right. Yeah. Well, essentially. Is a battle between the descendants of Zerah Judah, the Romans, and the descendants of Pharaoh Judah, the Germans, fighting each other, okay? Not knowing their own ancestry, and of course speaking different languages, uh, that they would not have gotten along too well, <laughs> right? And that's exactly what happened, right? Yeah. 
Okay, um, let's read on. Um, the Middle Eastern origin of the Nordic and Germanic tribes has been confirmed by other of the greatest Nordic historians. For example, the famous Danish historian Peter Friedrich Sum wrote, speaking of the Scandinavians, that the ancestor of ourselves, the Germans and the Celts, lived together in Asia Minor. Mm-hmm. Uh, concerning, yeah, concerning the last part of the trek to Northern Europe, um, Sum wrote, again speaking of Scandinavians, that it is reasonable that our fathers have come here via Russia and the eastern part of Poland when they came to the Baltic Sea and present-day Livonia, they divide themselves into two great multitudes. The one went north, and the other fathers uh, distanced from them, and the other went west and became the ancestors of many German people. Mm-hmm. And isn't this also Eli? What you have been, what you've been finding out in your research regarding to that they may, uh, they divide themselves here. Right. Right. Well, uh, you know, obviously, when part of the tribe of Dan sails up the Don River, almost as far as the Baltic Sea, and settles there, and another part of Dan flows west toward, uh, you know, toward the, uh, what's the other uh, big German river, the... uh, uh, which yeah. also falls the, the Rhine. Okay, so we, here we have again a mountain range which separates the Dan from the uh, Rhine in in Western Europe, and with the same uh, situation in Northern Russia, you know where uh, they they sailed up the Don River and then down the whatever river goes to the Baltic. All right, so same scenario. Now these people would have s- separated from each other from that point on not knowing that they're related okay yes all right and, um, we also have we have this famous city in poland called danzig that uh-huh. wears the name of dan on it there you go there you go yeah yeah, Maybe yeah. central point for them yes yeah, yeah. okay let's continue um Snorri Sturlason and Peter Friedrich Schum. Schum did trace the ancestors of the Nordic and Germanic tribes back to the Caucasus region and Turkey, but they did not trace them any further than that. They did not trace them all the way back to the lost tribes of Israel. But in 1723, the French Huguenot Dean Abedie, who lived in exile in Germany, the Netherlands and Britain did so in a book. Uh, now let's let's practice my French. <laughs> la Triomphe de la Province et de la Religion. That's better than my French. <laughs> Unless ten tribes of Israel are flown into the air or sunk into the earth. <laughs> That's also possible, right? Not, not about <laughs> flown into the air, but maybe buried by earthquakes and stuff. But we know better. Yeah. They must be those ten Gothic tribes that entered Europe in the 5th century, overthrew the Roman Empire, and founded the ten nations of modern Europe. Right. Now, the word Gothic comes from the, uh, probably from the word Gad, but there's many uh, corollaries to Gad, God, you know, it means Gottish. That means God's people, Gottish, the Gottish tribes 
which is what the Israelites always called themselves. We have always called ourselves God's people, and that's where the word goth comes from. Back to you. Yes, and um, four of those Germanic tribes, the Eastern Franks, the Bavarians, Swabians, and Saxons, evolved into Germany after the divisions of Charlemagne's Frankish Empire in the 9th century. We will now describe these four tribes, and I can make also one more comment that didn't made made here about Odin. He said he had many sons. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. He did settle at Odense, but he did continue more northward, and I believe that he settled finally down up in in middle Sweden called Uppland or Uppsala. That's mm-hmm. where he is buried, I believe. And he okay. also left sons in Denmark. And those those people, those kings, they were the one that formed the first king, and they are called the Skjöldungarna. Uh, and then up in Sweden, uh, they are called Ynglinga Etten. That is where they come from. It was Odin was their forefather. Mm-hmm. He, he, did, he did also put kings in, in Denmark, Sweden, and Norway. They all came from Odin. Right, right. And uh, therefore, uh, also the Vikings. The Vikings would be related to him. They're also Danites and Odinites. Again, we, we see that the tradition of the Israelites to place over themselves either a, a, a Zara Judahite or a Ferris Judahite has been maintained even in this late stage of history. Okay, but they probably forgot who they were in terms of being Israelites, but they did not forget their country of origin, which is the uh, Fertile Crescent, otherwise known as Assyria, and as they say here, Turkland. Turkland, okay? So uh, it was already known as Turkey well well before <laughs> it was called Turkey, right? It was called Turkland uh, by the Israelites, because what, up in that, the Turks, the Turks who are primarily of Hittite origin, they probably had plenty of wars with those Turkish people, and uh, they eventually migrated uh, north and became part of the Khazar. The Turks did part of the Khazar Empire after also many wars between themselves, okay? The Turks and the Khazars. Okay, back to you. Yes. Do you want to read the Franks of the tribe of Reuben? Oh, okay. Yeah, very good. Yeah, because that, that's my ancestry. Yeah. The origins of the modern state of Germany began with the Frankish Empire. The Franks are of Reuben, Jacob's firstborn son. Now it's interesting that the French, the Franks, uh, you know, took that area from Alsace-Lorraine to the Atlantic Ocean, and the Germans uh, originate from Alsace-Lorraine eastward. Okay, so but this area of Alsace-Lorraine was always being fought over between the Franks and the Germans, and they're still fighting over it today because it's a very fertile area, you know, great farmland. So, uh, But nevertheless, they're both. The Franks are of Reuben, and the Germans are, as uh, the author here states, of the Saxons, people known as the Saxons. The Franks were a large Germanic tribe which lived around the Lower Rhine, the Meuse and Main rivers in what is today called West Middle Germany, parts of the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, and northern France. The Franks were united under Clovis in 482 AD. In 486, the Franks defeated the Roman governor Siagrius, who ruled northern France. 
In 507, the Franks defeated the Visigoths and annexed southwest Gaul. Charlemagne, ruler 768-814, expanded the kingdom of the Franks. Uh, now, as we've already found out, this the Franks were a Germanic kingdom already, but he uh, how's a, he uh, took rulership over virtually all of the Germanic tribes at one point. On Christmas 800 A.D. in Rome, Charlemagne was crowned emperor of the Frankish Empire by Pope Leo III. Charlemagne's son, Louis the Pious, inherited the empire, but after his death and a brief civil war, his three sons divided the empire into three parts in 843. The Western Frankish Kingdom, or West Francia, which used the Latin Old French tongue and evolved into France. The Eastern Frankish Kingdom, or East Francia, was given to Louis the German. East Francia retained its Germanic tongues and evolved into Germany, Switzerland, and Austria. Middle Francia, which was an artificial creation with no ethnic or historical bonds uniting it. In 873, the northern part was divided between East Francia and West Francia, while the southern part evolved into Burgundy and into the medieval kingdom of Italy. The preeminence of the Franks among the Germanic tribes and the division of their empire after Charlemagne being crowned emperor by the Pope was the fulfillment of Jacob's words in his firstborn son Reuben. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might. Now, of course, this is even though Joseph was given the title of firstborn later on. Uh, this is literally saying, Reuben, you were my firstborn. <laughs> you were my firstborn son. Okay, My might and the beginning of my strength. It's not a title in this case. It's a literal firstborn statement here. The excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. All you have to do is look at Louis the Twelfth through the Fourteenth to talk about dignity and excellency of power. Okay, Those Frankish kings. But unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, and defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. And the, the French kingdom is uh, well known for its uh, sexual promiscuity and for being unstable. How many revolutions have occurred in France in history? A couple of dozen, right? So uh, this is a very excellent prophecy of the French, i.e. Reubenite people. Any comment from you at this point, uh, Michael? Yeah, the one I also find out here, because it was this, that Charlemagne, he is the first, the first emperor. He is, I saw how he is, the, as the, what is said, at, and the beginning of my strength. So that's yes. how I see how Charlemagne is fulfilling that prophecy. Yes, okay. Yeah, and he is considered, even though he uh, united all these Israelite nations under the name of Francia, nevertheless, you know, the, the languages stayed separate. So the, the French language uh, stayed to the west of, I guess, is the River Rhine, and the German language to the east. And, of course, uh, Germanic comes from the, the, the uh, oh, well, it's from Assyria. The Germanic comes from Assyria, so we would have carried that language with us. So how the French evolved would be a good uh, study, how uh, French evolved from the Germanic tribes, okay? So continuing. Yeah. 
Yeah, wasn't French as a Latin language? That's from the Latin language then. Yeah, and uh, so you have, uh, again, this part of the French, uh, the central Frankish kingdom uh, evolved into Italy. So that, that's where you would get the, the Roman, the Latin language, which would have influenced the, the French language. Okay. All right, so. Early in the 10th century, East Francia became known as the Kingdom of Germany, Regnum Teutonicorum, or Regnum Teutonicorum, or Teutonicum. The Kingdom of Germany was made up of tribal duchies of the larger Germanic tribes. These tribes each represent an Israelite tribe, Franconia, Rumen, Bavaria, Simeon, Swabia, including Alamannia, Levi, and Alaman uh, would be the... Uh, the Angles and the Saxons, Saxony, Judah. Okay, so the uh, the Alans and Swaves always traveled together, even though they kept their tribal heritage distinct throughout. So Alemannia is the area known as Germany. Okay, in fact, that's what the Germans call themselves today, Aleman, uh, the Alans and Swaves. Continuing. Between the 10th and 13th century, the German tribal duchies dissolved into regions ruled by families, nobility. But even today, the difference between the German tribes can be seen in both the German dialects and the political division of the German Bundesländer, or federal states. Okay, so this is, uh, since I was born in Bavaria, let me continue. <laughs> and then, and uh, so, uh, and then... Uh, you, you can take over, okay? So where are we at? We're at 824 already. Bavarians and Austrians of the tribe of Simeon. The Bavarians and Austrians speak a high German group of dialects called Austro-Bavarian. The Austrians are historically a branch of the Bavarians. In 1615 BC, 1615 BC, the Roman Empire annexed areas where the Celtic tribe of the Boi lived and turned them into the provinces Retia, roughly corresponding to Bavaria, and Noricum, roughly corresponding to Austria. Okay, so the boy, he's uh, asserting that they are a Celtic tribe, which means that they came from Zarajuda. The Celts came from Zarajuda. And so here we see the merging of the Celtic tribe, the boy, with the Goths. Okay. The Celtic boy and several Germanic tribes amalgamated into the Bavarians, which they would be likely to do because they are kinsmen, like Bohemia, and that's probably where the word uh, Bohemia comes from, from the boy, have their name, oh, that's what he says, have their name from the Celtic boy. After the collapse of the Roman Empire, the Bavarians came under the domination of the Franks. The Franks used the Bavarians as a buffer zone from peoples from the east, such as the Slavs and Avars. Around 550 AD, the Bavarians were put under a duke who acted as governor under the king of the Franks. Under Theodore, Duke of Bavaria, the Bavarians achieved de facto independence from the Franks, but under the Frankish king Charles Martel, ruler 7 to 14 to 741, the Bavarians were again laid under the king of the Franks. Already under Theodore, the bulk of the Bavarians professed Christianity. In 843 AD, the Frankish Empire was divided, 
and Bavaria was one of the territories given to Louis, or otherwise known as Ludwig, the German king of the East Franks. Bavaria continued being a defense against invading peoples from the east, and ultimately Poland became that, and Russia became that as well. And in 907 AD, almost a whole Bavarian tribe is said to have perished in the Battle of Pressburg, today Bratislava, capital of the Slavic Republic, against the attacking Hungarians. In 745 AD, while Bavaria was under the Franks, Odilo, Duke, uh, uh, do you see the name of Odin in there? (laughs) Yeah, right. Odilo, Duke of Bavaria, subdued the Slavonic Principality of Carinthia, roughly corresponding to modern Austria. In 899 AD, Carinthia was turned into a mark under East Francia. And uh, he, he uses quotation marks here for mark. I'm not sure what he means. Simeon's territory at the time of the Old Testament and today. In the time of the Old Testament, the tribe of Simeon was the Israelite tribe which lived farthest to the south and always associated with Judah. Likewise, Bavaria and Austria are today the most southern of the Germanic tribes of Europe. Simeon's territory in the time of the Old Testament was actually a territory within Judah's territory. Quote, Out of the portion of the children of Judah was the inheritance of the children of Simeon. For the part of the children of Judah was too much for them. Therefore the children of Simeon had their inheritance within the inheritance of them. Joshua 19.9 So, very much like uh, there's a suburb of Chicago. uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Is actually contained within the city limits of Chicago, <laughs> right? Yeah, but they, they have a separate government and, se- and of course, borders that um, you know are not included in the city of Chicago. So this is what we have with the Simeonites. They, their territory was within the territory of Judah, but was a separate, distinct province of Judah. Okay, so to finish this section. That Simeon lived in Judah's territory is fulfilled in the fact that Bavaria is a part of Germany. Today, in the Federal Republic of Germany, Bavaria has more independence than the other German Bundesländer, uh, the national lands. The official name for Bavaria is, for example, the Free State of Bavaria. The ruling conservative party in Germany is actually divided into two parties, and Bavaria is considered the most Christian of all the Germanic provinces. The Christian Democratic Union of Germany, which represents all of Germany except Bavaria, and the Bavarian branch, which is called the Christian Social Union of Bavaria, which only represents Bavaria. Okay, so why don't you pick it up from here? The Swabians, Alamans, etc. And just as I remember before, but I see when it said, what does a Christian have in in common with social union? That I don't know. That rings wrong for me, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the political bonds of the German people, you know, well, they divided into all these different countries, right? And Prussia, uh, it occurred to me, he doesn't talk about Prussia. So how does Prussia fit into all of this? But, uh, you know, that, that's a study, you know, a political study that probably needs great detail that he's not prepared to go into, okay? But uh, nevertheless, this is an outstanding historical review by uh, Mikkel Sternholm Krag. To repeat his name. All right, back to you. 
Yes, so now, isn't this your your heritage here? The yes. Swabians, Alamanians, and mm-hmm. Swiss Germans of the tribe of Levi. And that is probably pretty, pretty fitting for you, Daniela. You are a priest, yeah. like from the priestly, priestly tribes. Probably am, right? Probably am. Okay, yeah. my mother's maiden name is Simeon. But, uh, you know, uh, the, what is the... Uh, uh, you know, the, the Simeonites would have traveled, you know, the same route, you know, as as the rest of the Germanic tribes. Back to you. Yeah. Okay. So let's start. The Swabians and the Alemannic um, is a group of high German dialect, which are spoken in the German-speaking part of Switzerland, most of Baden-Württemberg in eastern Bavaria, in Vorarlberg in Austria, in Liechtenstein, in parts of Alsace in France, and in some parts of Oistia um, Valley, I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, no, not familiar with that uh, term. In uh, North uh, Piedmont, Piedmont, in right. it's, it's spelled A-O-S-T-E, Iast Valley, something like that, in Piedmont, okay, in Italy. Yeah, in Piedmont, in Italy. The mm-hmm. Swabians, the Alemannians, are of the tribe of Levi. Okay. Um, origins of the Helveti and Alemannians and Swabians. In the first century BC, the Celtic tribes, the Helveti, lived on the Swiss plateau. In 15 BC, Tiberius I, who later became uh, the second Roman emperor, and his brother uh, Drusus conquered the Alps and integrated them into the Roman Empire. The area occupied by the Helveti first became part of Roman province Gallia Belgicia and later part of the province Germania uh, Superior, while the eastern part of Switzerland became part of the Roman province Raetia. Yeah, R A E T I A, Raetia. Okay. Yes, Uh, from the 4th century century AD, the western part of Switzerland was under the Germanic tribe of uh, Burgundians. Yeah, they make excellent wine. (laughs) Right, Burgundy. Burgundy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who approximately 300 AD trekked from the Danish Iceland Boanholm, organally uh, Burgund. Burgunderholm, meaning mm-hmm. the Bulgarians' Iceland. Okay, island, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Burgunder eventually became French-speaking. In the 5th century, the Germanic tribe of Alemania settled on the Swiss plateau. And in the 8th century, in the Valley of the Alps, the Almanian, Almania formed Alemania, which coexisted with Burg- Burgundia, the Germanic tribe of um, su- um, Swabi yeah. soon settled and became part of the Alemannic Confederacy so here we the, see this, this part of history where the various uh, Germanic Israelite tribes and some of the Zarajuda tribes the Celts were, were beginning to merge together without conflict okay 
Previous to this time, there was nothing but conflict, primarily because they didn't know who they were and because they spoke different languages and couldn't communicate with each other. You know, so they had wars, <laughs> right? So in this part of, and after, let's see, what part of this, uh, oh, 5th century, okay, and then leading into the 8th century. But of course, 8th century is when Charlemagne came to power, and he in turn unified all these various Celtic and Germanic tribes, all of whom were Israelite tribes of either Zara Judah or Ferris Judah, settling in Central Europe. Okay? And these confederacies became the Alemannic or the German confederacy. Okay, back to you. Yes. Um, so the Swabi had trekked from what today is Mecklenburg, Vorpommern um, by the Baltic Sea which the Romans already called Mare um, su- Subicum. Swabicum, Sway, the Swabian Sea. It's interesting. So the Baltic Sea was once called the Swabian Sea. Didn't know that. Very interesting. Okay, back to you. Well, that's probably yeah, Prussia. That's probably Prussia. Okay. Yeah, that's the, yeah, the Swabian Sea. Northern, Northern uh, Germany, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Alemania and Swabia retained their Germanic dialects. Mm-hmm. Jawohl, ich spreche gut Deutsch. <laughs> I can speak high German, but the uh, the Swabish uh, German is what's called Low German, okay, which didn't have a formal alphabet and dictionary. You know, the Prussians, the Northern Germans had that, and uh, the Southern Germans, including the Austrians, speak Swabian, uh, Swabian German, which is uh, considered Low German. But uh, it's just as prevalent in, in, in all of Germania as High German, okay? Virtually all of yeah. Austria speaks the Low German dialect, which I learned to speak. Back to you. Yeah, and is that the, the harder one to understand? It's harder to understand that one. Yeah, because, so- yeah because it's all, how should I put it, uh, you know, uh, they, they shorten, it's a lot of it's slang, you know, so it's basically High German with a lot of slang words and shortened uh, wor- word forms, such as uh, High German is Ich, meaning I. The uh, the Bavarian is E, all right? It's just the letter I. They drop the CH. So in the Low German dialect, it's E instead of Ich. And that's probably where the English I comes from, the Low German dialect E, you know, back to you. Yeah, and isn't that also something typical of us Israelites to making slang of right. words? Right, and, and shortening <laughs> words. You know, we, yeah. we, we don't like 12-syllable words. <laughs> we, we shorten them, right? So, and that's typical basically of all languages. You know, they shorten words. The more often the word is used, the, the shorter it becomes in common usage. Okay, all right, back to you. Yes, so now we have the Alemanians and the Swabians under the Franks. Around 496 AD, the Frankish king, the Frankish, and the Frankish king uh, Clovis the first defeated the, the Alemannic Confederacy in the Battle of um, Tol- Tolbiac, and the Alema- Alemanians and Swabians came under Frankish rule. Before the Battle of Clovis had vowed that if he won the battle, he would get baptized as a Christian, okay. which he did. In 640 AD, the Alemannians revolted against the, Fra- the Frankish rule and were independent until the middle of the 8th century. 
And after 718, the Frankish king Charles Martel defeated the Alemanians and annexed their territory, and even made some of the Alemanians wage war against their eastern neighbor, the Bavarians. In 730, Charles Martel again had to invade Alemania to crush an uh, aspiring independence struggle. Just two years before, he stopped the Muslim armies at the Battle of Tours in okay. 732. Okay, so there was constant invasions from the east by some uh, white tribes and some non-white tribes. Okay, Pastor Steve, when we did the history of the Hungarians, we traced them all the way back to the uh, Tower of Babel. Uh, and apparently Hungarian is one of those languages spoken, and I think they were a Hamitic tribe, because uh, what's his Nimrod was a descendant of Ham. Okay, whether he was a pure descendant of Ham, I'm prepared to dispute. But uh, the the various languages that were determined uh, you know, at the breakup of the Empire of Nimrod, we trace the Hungarians going north, and if you go to Hungary today you will see that's blonde-haired, blue-eyed people, <laughs> okay? The vast majority of the Hungarians are blonde-haired, blue-eyed people. So uh, this, uh, you know, it's false to uh, identify them as non-white. But east of Hungary, you know, that's where you've got the Avars and the, uh, you know, the Mongols and all those, you know, Mongolian uh, oriental tribes that were constantly invading from the east and then you had the uh, the, the uh, various uh, Muslim tribes, primarily Turkish, invading from the south. So Europe was constantly defending itself against the invasions of these non-white tribes, in addition to fighting amongst themselves. Okay, so it was hard to keep the, these empires u unified, even among uh, people of kindred stock. Okay, all right, back to you. Yeah, and I can also point uh, uh, say that the Hungarian language, it is kind of special, yeah, but it has yes. one relative in Europe, and that is the Finnish language. Interesting. Okay. Very good. Very good. So it's possible, well, the Finns, I think, are the Phoenicians, okay, that, uh, that uh, were the Israelites that sailed on the Phoenician ships, you know, all over, all over the west coast of Europe. So we can see that there was probably some correlation between the Finns and the Hungarians. Okay. All right. Back to you. Yeah. Okay. So now we have the tribal um, duchy of Swabia or Alemania. That's bef between 911 to 1268 and also 1289 uh, to 1313. When the Frankish Empire was divided in 843, the Alemanians and Swabians were alluded to Louis the German, who formed East Francia. The tribal duchy, Swabia, was called Alemania Interchangeable. Right. Okay. Swabia um, endured as a tribal duchy until the end of the House of um, Hohen... Oh, you can help me here, I think. Ho Hohenstaufen. Hohenstaufen. Yeah, Hohenstaufen. Hohenstaufen. Yeah. 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 In 1268. Yeah, that sounds like a good dish. <laughs> Pass me some of that Hohenstaufen, please. <laughs> Back to you. Sorry, uh, bad joke. 
from uh, 1079 to 1268, the house of Hohenstaufen was, with a few inter interruptions, dukes of Swabia, and much of this period, Holy Roman Empires as well. Mm -hmm. In 1289, Swabia came under the Austrian house of Habsburg. In 1313, Swabia disintegrated into numerous smaller states. Right. Okay. And now we come to Switzerland. Now, now, now you can see why Germany, among the European nations, had such great difficulty in unifying into a, you know, because we have all these pr prophecies that the Israelites uh, and the descendants of Abraham would be uh, nations and companies of nations, okay, which obviously includes America, Britain, various European states. And, but we see ultimately Germany did unify into a single nation. So, the, so that prophecy is also true. And of course, Italy, you know, Italy was a province of many nation states come together, uh, probably uh, France. Okay. So many of the houses of Israel formed uh, multiple uh, multiplicities or unions, confederations, of Israelite tribes, and they, but by the time these things happened, they had forgotten their Israelite heritage. Germany, I don't think, unified until sometime in 1848 or something like that. Very late in comparison to the other Israelite tribes of Europe. Okay, back to you. Yeah, and the same was in Sweden as well, where we have the, um, what do you call it, uh, you can, Svea, uh, Svea Rike, and then you had the Västergötaland, uh, and that was West, yeah, West Gothic, and that okay. West Jutland. So those two um, was rivals in in Sweden with two different uh, kingdoms. Okay, and they finally unified. Yeah, yeah, we have we are unified, even if we maybe make fun of each other because we have <laughs> different dialects. Yeah, right. Yeah, Southerners, <laughs> Southerners versus Northerners here in America, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. They, they are on the west coast, they are on, maybe on the back side, and we are on the front side, you know, that's okay. Okay, <laughs> all right. Okay. All right, very good. Over to Switzerland, then. Um, in 1291, when Switzerland was a part of the Holy Roman Empire, uh, three cantons formed a federacy, which was the beginning of the Confederatio Helvetia. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Yeah, close. Which yeah. Today, mm -hmm. yeah, which today is the Latin official name of Swiss. Swiss Confederation, which is made up of 26 cantons. Okay. By 1450, the Swiss Confederacy controlled most of what today is Switzerland. In the Swabian War of 1499, the Swiss Confederacy defeated Swabia and the House of Habsburg. Wherefore, the Swiss <laughs> Confederacy. Mm -hmm. Confederacy. Yeah, just and yeah. They have they throw an extra O in there for in Confederacy. So yeah, just pronounce it Confederacy. Yeah. By the way, uh, just just quickly, uh, I had this inkling that Helvetia was a female um, ancestor of the Swiss. Helvetia is the female national personification of Switzerland. Officially, Confederatio Helvetica, the Swiss Confederation. The allegory is typically pictured in a flowing gown, probably was a real person, with a spear and a shield emblazoned with the Swiss flag and commonly with braided hair. Commonly, oh, oh she was Swedish. 
But now, what, now, what's the difference between Swiss and Switioid? <laughs> Not too much difference between those two, right? The name is a derivation of the ethnonym Helvetii, the name of the Gaulish tribe inhabiting the Swiss plateau prior to the Roman conquest. So the Helveti were obviously another Germanic, you know, Israelite tribe. Okay, back to you. Yes. Um, yes, so here also where they achieved are de facto independence from the Holy Roman Empire. Right. Amen. Okay. Yeah. And in 1513, the Swiss Confederacy. Uh, Confederacy. Con- <laughs> Confederacy. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> uh-huh. um, expanded further south into um, Italian speaking areas, but the Swiss were occupying Milan in the 1515. They were defeated by a French led army. This ended the heroic, heroic period of Swiss history. It also put an end to the expansions into Italian areas. Okay. In 1656, the reformed cantons clashed with the Catholic cantons, which resulted in a Catholic victory. But in 1712, the reformed cantons in Catholic cantons again clashed, resulting in a reformed victory, which broke the Catholic hegemony. All right. Okay, very good. Okay, so we're learning some real history of Europe, which is totally ignored by our you know, educational system, even though you're, uh, the, these educational systems are controlled by Europeans, <laughs> right? Nevertheless, none of this history is taught. It's just, these are all footnotes to, uh, you know, I doubt that any of this is taught in any educational system in Europe or America. Okay. No, no. None of it. And this, okay. this interesting history. This makes yes. history interesting. Yeah, because it's Christian identity history. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's okay. true. It is not fairy yeah. tales. Okay, so we have, I think we can do one more section. We have about 10 minutes left, and we'll have to pick the rest of this up next week. Okay, back to you. Yeah, I have to speed up then. Um, Switzerland is the European country with the longest history of um, neutrality since 1815. Um, Well, I can also hear you have some some argument about how much influence Rothschild has had on this uh, neutrality. Yes. So uh, we have to put that in mind as well. Yeah. Battle of Waterloo. Yeah. Battle of Waterloo. Yeah, the, the, the bankers needed a neutral country from which to operate. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So in 1992, um, the Swiss rejected EU membership in a, a refer- referendum. Only in 2002 did Switzerland become a full member of the United Nations. Um, Switzerland is very neutral compared to other Israelite nations because under the old covenant, Levi was the only tribe which did not have a territory. Since Levi did not have a territory, the tribe would have a tendency to neutrally when being among their brethren. Okay. And Fair this enough. is um, Levi's yeah. inclinations to neutrality and fear of God can be seen in Moses' blessings to Levi. And this is from Deuteronomy 33, 7 until 11. And of Levi, he said, let my um, Tumim and thy um, Urim be with thy Holy One, whom thou didst prove at Massa, and with whom thou didst strive at the waters of Meriba, who said unto his fathers and to his mothers, I have not seen him, neither did he acknowledge his brethren, nor know his own children. 
for they have observed thy word and kept thy covenant. They shall teach Jacob thy judgment and Israel thy law. They shall put incense before thee and hold burnt sacrifice upon thine altar. Bless, Lord, his substance and accept the work of his hand. Smite through the loins of them that rise against him and of them that hate him that they rise not again. Okay, so it's uh, very interesting where it says, uh, Who said unto his father and to his mother, I have not seen him? Neither did he acknowledge his brethren, nor know his own children. Okay, now this would fit the tribe of Levi because they were dedicated to the priesthood. Okay, the Levite men uh, married women from the various other tribes of Israel. But if they had a son, he would be uh, pledged to become a Levitical priest, okay? And therefore, he could wander from one tribe to another and would not even know his own children, right? Ultimately, he would be there to raise them, probably. But when they uh, grew older, he would might migrate to another place where uh, Israelites needed a priest, okay? So uh, that would make sense in this context. All right, back to you. Yeah. Okay. okay. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, read on. Despite the fact that Switzerland is extremely neutral in politics, the Swiss are very much a people prepared for war. Almost all Swiss men are a part of the Swiss armed force and store guns in their homes in case of a foreign invasion. This is also a Levitic characteristic. Yes. Because Levi was known for a willingness to take up the sword if it was necessary, as the tribe did after the rest of Israel had danced, danced around the golden calf in Exodus 32. And as Levi, the uh, patriarch, did in the slaying of the Canaanite city of um, Shechem. Shechem. Yes, Shechem. right, right. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. and this also then, uh, when, if you refer to your, uh, didn't you have the Black Rogue regiments in uh, during the wars in that, America? That's right. That's right. So many of those were probably Levites and didn't know it. Yes, they did the preaching and then they got out into the battle. Right. Exactly. Yeah, they, they wore their military garb underneath their black robes. That's how they became known as the Black Rogue Regiment. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so he goes into, ooh. Uh, I see something I don't like, but yeah, I think we have time for this section, Levi and especially God-fearing tribe, before we get into the Saxon Germans, okay? I see something maybe also. I think we have spotted the same. Yeah, right. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Under the Old Covenant, Levi did not have a territorial inheritance because God was their inheritance. The The Levite religious seal is fulfilled, especially in the Swiss which have fostered many great reformers. Some of the Swiss reformers were Ulrich uh, Swingle. Swingly. 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 Yeah, Yeah, the Z is pronounced like a T-S. Swingly. Swingly, yeah. And he lived between 1484 to 1531. He was a reformer in Zürich. Yes. Uh, Heinrich uh, Bullinger, uh, between 1504 to 1575. He was a reformer in Zürich. Zürich, an ancestor of the English theologian um, Ethelbert V. Bullinger, the author of the Numbers in Scripture. 1894. 
Neat. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and William Farrell, between 1489 to 1565, reformer in Geneva. And we, ha- and he'll, and we also have Theodore uh, Beza, between uh, 1519 to 1605. He was also reforming in Geneva. Yeah, here's probably the controversial mm-hmm. one. Yeah. And that's John, John Calvin, between 1509 to 1564. He was born in France, but is famous for his time in Geneva. Okay, so he wasn't born in Switzerland, so he's probably not a Levite. <laughs> right? Okay. So, uh, yeah, and so um, as uh, Chris in London has pointed out, his uh, real name is Cauvin, his French name, which is uh, French for Cohen. Okay, so he probably anglicized his name at some point, and he was the one who said a little bit of usury is okay, (laughs) right, in his teachings. And he was actually quite a cruel person. He was executing people at the stake and uh, killing people who didn't agree with him, okay, which isn't, you know, which plenty of Israelites have done in the past. But unlike these other reformers who were strictly uh, theological reformers, Calvin uh, took things to violent extremes, you know. And, uh, and like Luther, although Luther started the, the Reformation in 1517, now the, uh, the, the, the split from the Roman Church, he, he didn't start the Reformation, but he was the one who caused the split from the reformers, total split from the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, these armies formed independently of Luther. He didn't go around forming armies. But the, the uh, German, Germanic dukes and uh, uh, Teutonic knights decided they, they'd had enough of Rome and uh, they organized against Rome. Okay, So even though Ro- uh, Luther was a theological inspiration for these things, he didn't lead any armies, not to, not to my knowledge, you know, like uh, John Calvin did. And, uh, but yeah, he had an ironclad dictatorship in Geneva, which was very, uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a dictatorship, a, a fairly ruthless dictatorship while John Calvin was there, okay? And so, uh, was he also then, could we say that he was an Edomite to try to change the scripture? If he said a little, you yes. should that <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. I'm yes. skeptical. Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. And uh, Calvinism inspired... Uh, what's his name, to invade uh, England um, and uh, bring in the Jewish, the, the Jewish uh, bankers back to England after they had been expelled, you know, for hundreds of years. All uh, right. The Amsterdam's, yeah. Uh, Amsterdam's. Yeah, Amsterdam Jews, yeah. And so, uh, so John Cal- Calvinism was the inspiration for that, okay? So to, to bring, uh, you know, the Jews, because... Uh, Calvin taught that the Jews and the Europeans were related, okay, but that the Jews are the tribe of Judah, and so that uh, this this is why he believed in usury, okay. So either if he wasn't an Edomite, he certainly adopted a lot of Edomite beliefs, okay, but I think the consensus is uh, building that he was was in fact an Edomite, okay. Yeah, that's right. the, and then also when we look here at Switzerland, uh, could it be that that the Rothschild they they of course they know where the tribe settled, they know this history. Could this be the reasons why they have chosen then Switzerland for their little 
haven, their place where it is neutrality, that looks like a neutral uh, nation, or is this a work of God? What do you think, Eli? Yeah. That's a final Well, uh, uh, sorry, I was distracted. Uh, I was thinking of Oliver Cromwell. I was trying to remember the name of the uh, guy who invaded Britain under Calvinistic uh, inspiration, okay? So I I missed your question. Would you repeat it, please? Yeah, and Switzerland is today a a neutral nation. Oh. We know the fact that that the Rothschild, of course, know where the tribes went. They know probably that we do it. And so could they have chosen this, this nation for that reason, that it is that is the Levites living here? Or is it also work of God to make, make it come yeah. true? I don't, what, what do you believe here? Well, it, I think more it's the work of Yahweh. I think the uh, Rothschilds wanted to keep Switzerland neutral because they needed a neutral uh, place for their banking operations, you know. So uh, I think that's the reason why the Rothschilds got involved, Okay. Yeah, because yeah, right. because the Levites settled it. That was, of course, the work yeah. of our creation that put put us put us there. So yeah, yeah. and then fit the yeah. Rothschild's plans. Then yes, yeah, and so it was it was Cromwell who brought the Jews back to England via Calvinistic doctrine. Okay, and so you had a war between another war between the Celtic Britons and the, in this case the Calvinistic invaders. You know, uh, to uh, I don't know what, what ancestry Cromwell had, but he was certainly backed by Jewish banksters. All right, no doubt about that. All right, folks, that brings us to the end of our study. We'll pick this up next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you, uh, thank you, Mike, for for a, a very good um, you know uh, lesson today. Appreciate it. It's fun and uh, gained a lot of knowledge today. Thanks again, folks, and thank you, Michael. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. Bye for now.